0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue again today with the Gifts of the Holy Spirit series with a message entitled, The Endurance of Love. So join with me as we turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 to 13.
1: enjoy the fall. I mean, the leaves are turning all sorts of different colors and it's really beautiful. Of course, since I live in greater Vancouver, most of the time we can't really talk about leaves crunching under our feet. I mean, they actually just kind of squish under our feet. I mean, with all the rain, but even with the rain, the world really is beautiful in the fall. But, of course, in the fall, the leaves are actually dying as they, they fall to the earth. And, and with that, the trees will become barren and cold and seemingly almost lifeless. I mean, that's the fall. I mean, winter is coming. When Paul wrote about love, he said quite literally, love never falls. He used the same word as he used in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, when he said, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall." Think of someone who's trying to steady himself on a, on a very dangerous pathway, I mean, perhaps high in the mountains, and suddenly finding the ground giving way under him and falling, perhaps even causing great injury or even death. So I've given two images leaves falling to the ground at the end of the season and, and being trampled underfoot and decaying, and a hiker falling from a high mountain trail. His hike is over. To fall is synonymous with coming to an end. It means to die or or to quit or to to reach a dead end in the road. The road runs out. That's why many translators don't translate love never falls, which is a difficult thing to translate. And so they say love never ends. Love never falls to the ground and decays. Love is not made of that kind of stuff. I'm reading 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 13. Love never ends. As for prophecies they will pass away, as for tongues they will cease, as for knowledge it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, as even as I am fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. For those of us who are enamored by our own spiritual gifts or are filled with envy over the gifts of others, this is, this is a wonderful passage. It helps us get our priorities right. Paul begins first by assuring us that the gift of prophecy will pass away. Like a leaf when it falls to the ground, it has within it a built in obsolescence. In eternity, the gifts are not like an on-ramp flowing onto a superhighway waiting to be energized into the next level of perfection. Rather, they're an off-ramp leading to a dead end. Paul simply says prophecies will pass away. He doesn't here mean that the writings of Scripture will pass away. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. See, I know that God's written word, the Bible, the the product of God's prophets, that's going to endure. In eternity, we will find it fascinating as as a reminder of how God's graciousness overwhelmed human sin. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the kind of prophecies he mentioned earlier, the kind of prophecies in which an individual would hear a direct word from God related to a specific situation. And then he says tongues will cease. Knowledge will also pass away. Again, he doesn't mean that we won't know things in heaven. He means rather that the gift of what he calls the gift of the utterance of knowledge will also fall to the ground like a beautiful red leaf in autumn. It will simply pass away. And when does that happen? Well, according to verse 9, it happens when the perfect comes. The perfect that Paul speaks of here doesn't refer to to the time when the, the Bible is finally completed. It doesn't refer to the second coming of Christ. The perfect refers to our entrance into heaven. See, one of the differences we have with Roman Catholicism is over the idea of purgatory. The idea of purgatory or the idea of purgation means that after death we we need time to purge away all of our sinful inclinations, to purge away all of our impurities, and that until that process is complete, which may take a very long time indeed, we're not yet ready for heaven. You know, many years ago I remember sitting transfixed before my television. I watched this amazing rescue of 33 miners trapped in a Chilean mine. As each one of them was brought to the surface, I mean, crowds cheered and wives and children rushed forward to kiss their loved ones. It really was a beautiful story, and and it was so touched my heart, it was a clear word that all of them spoke about how sure they were that it was God's deliverance that set them free. But, of course, after the 33 were rescued, one still had to wait for the six rescuers who had gone down into the mine and also to be brought safely back to the surface. As the last one came up, the president of Chile said, he sure wished that these same rescuers would be around after he had died and gone down into purgatory. He said, many of us expect to be in purgatory for for a long time, but how good it would be to have these men bring us up. It was an interesting comment, thought about that. For it addresses the matter of perfection. When is it that perfection comes? 1 John 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. So clearly, the expectation here is an immediate expectation. When he appears, referring to the second coming of Christ, we will be like him. That is, we will be perfect. That's why the state of perfection that is to come means that, at the very least, some gifts, which include prophecy and tongues and utterances of knowledge, they're going to come to an end. Now, What is it about these gifts that make them, by their very nature, a part of the imperfect order? Well, for one, we know that these gifts are not sinful. Uh, We just know that they're imperfect. You see, Paul says, we know and prophesy in part. These gifts are but a darkened mirror reflecting what will one day become a brilliant reality. These gifts are but a slim and partial thing. Second, can you imagine someone with a prophecy in heaven? I mean, how foolish. God's right there. Or consider the gift of tongues. The Bible describes it as praying with one's spirit while one's mind is unfruitful. So tongues are an utterance of praise that bypasses the mind apparently because there are some utterances of praise that neither our mind nor our human vocabulary can say. But that's not so in heaven. The mind and human language will perfectly express praise. Now These gifts belong to the imperfect order. We need to make a distinction between them and that which will endure. Paul says that there are three things that will not endure. And by the three, I mean prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. But these three, and I think if I understand Paul, are are merely representatives of the entire nature of spiritual gifts. So, So we know first that the gifts are momentary. But second, we also know that love is eternal. Now, having established that, we come back to what we noticed at the first. The enduring nature of love helps us to figure out our priorities. Rather than being enamored by our own gifts or the gifts of others, we should be enamored by love. But lest we don't understand how profound that is, Paul gives us now three illustrations of what is to come. Look again at verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. If you're tracking well with Paul, he is saying that the gifts of the Spirit belong to children. We're like children on this side of perfection. I mean, think about that for a moment. There are a lot of things about childhood that that get laid aside when we grow up. I mean, there are the toys that we played with, and these have now been laid aside. There are the ways that we learn. I mean, children do not have the ability to grasp abstract thinking. And so all school teachers know that, that you teach children very differently than you teach adults. Now, if you're tracking with Paul, he's saying that spiritual gifts are the things children play with. On, on this side of eternity, we are the children. Please don't think that this means that spiritual gifts are unimportant. I mean, a lot of childhood games and childhood lessons and childhood education, a lot of that's necessary. These are not trivial things, but they are destined to be discarded, and so are the gifts of the Spirit. Now, in the first illustration, Paul tells of children that become adults. Then in the second illustration, he compares a dim reflection to a face-to-face encounter. Look at the beginning of verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. In the ancient world, this was an excellent illustration because mirrors in that day are not like our mirrors. Ancient mirrors were made of polished metal or polished bronze. So even while they gave you a reflection, it was a very unclear one. And Paul is now giving the second illustration of what he's talking about. Imagine the difference between a dim reflection of someone and a face to face encounter.
0: You may think that estate planning is only for the wealthy, but decisions about your home, family, your retirement, or even how you'd like to see your money used for ministry and for the kingdom, well, that's important. Back to the Bible Canada has partnered with Advisors with Purpose to help you start and discuss those important decisions. Their trained estate specialists are available to meet you by phone and provide you with the information to make the best decisions possible for you and your family. As a result of our partnership, Advisors with Purpose has made their services free and confidential to you alone, leaving you free from any obligation. It's never too early to plan for your future, so call them today. To speak to an estate specialist today, call 1-866-336-3315, that's one 866 336 3315 or visit advisorswithpurpose.ca for your free and confidential consult.
1: I wonder if Paul were living today whether we might use a very different example. For instance, we're all aware of online dating and romances and marriages that happen People meet other people by writing to each other, and often they feel in love with what they perceive the other person to be like, but they've not met them face to face. They've not seen the person, or they've not watched their mannerisms, their, their annoying little habits. They've not smelt the other person. They've, they've not seen them interacting with family and friends, and they've not watched how they handle stress and conflict and happiness and friendship. See, what they fall in love with is an image, or perhaps what they might want to see in the other, but it's really a dim mirror, not a face-to-face, not not yet the real thing. And the point is simply this. Spiritual gifts are but a dim reflection. They do give us a sense of it, but when face-to-face, that is, when we actually see Christ as he is, well, as they say, what a day that's going to be. And on that day, dim reflections simply won't interest us. In the same way, on that day, spiritual gifts won't interest us. Now, Paul gives a third illustration in the latter half of verse 12. He says, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. If you want to know what Paul's communicating here, well, once you grasp it, it might even take your breath away. Paul is saying, as God knows him, so he will know God one day. Now, I don't think Paul means to say that we will have all knowledge of God in in order to have that. Well, you've got to have omniscience. I think he's saying that when the perfect comes, he will be free of all misconceptions about God. No wrong ideas, no inabilities to understand either God or his word. And so we realize that spiritual gifts have a lot to say about the partial and nothing to say about the complete, a lot to say about the dim reflection and nothing to say about the face-to-face encounter, a lot to say about children, nothing to say about adults. Isn't it interesting how this passage is arranged in threes? Three gifts that pass away, that is prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, three illustrations, the child, the mirror, the incomplete, and now, says Paul, three things abide. Verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest is love. But this might seem confusing. So let's start. How is faith enduring? Second Corinthians 5, verses 6 to 7 says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Now here there's a distinction being made between the imperfect, that is, the life of faith, and the perfect, that is, when the darkness is taken away and and when we see Christ face to face. Indeed, there are so many things that now we grasp only by faith. Hebrews 11 verse one calls faith the conviction of things not seen. What is it that we don't see? Well, now of truth, we have the certainty of Christ's resurrection that assures us promises of God are true and that we will be raised like him. We don't see that, however, now. If you have a loved one who's died in Christ, you see nothing of the life on the other side of the grave. As we go through the list of what many call the, the Heroes hall of faith in Hebrews 11, we'll see all the things that people did in faith. Abel offered his sacrifice to God in faith. Enoch was taken to heaven by faith. Noah built his ark by faith. Abraham left his country to go to the land he would never see. By faith. Sarah believed that as an old woman, she would conceive by faith. I mean, on and on the list goes. Indeed, as Hebrews 11 describes the walk of faith of those who have gone before us, it says, I'm quoting Hebrews 11, 13, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. So isn't that the definition of faith? The conviction of things not seen. Now, that doesn't mean that faith is without evidence, yet it speaks of things that are, as of now, unseen. So then, how can faith endure? Why isn't it the stuff of children? Why isn't it the dim mirror? But, but this is key. Do you think that heaven is static? Do you think that when you get to heaven, God will stop planning wonderful things in eternity? And with each adventure, will you not say, I'm embarking upon a new and a perfect and a wonderful adventure, and in it, I trust God who works out all things to my good. In short, there is a real sense in which faith is eternal, in which it is the very basis upon the kind of relationship we will enjoy with God forever. So how does faith abide? Well, it does so in this way. For all of eternity, we will carry on thankful trust in our savior that's first now comes the second word it's the word hope in the new testament hope is connected to the hope of the resurrection the hope of being spared from the wrath of god and the hope of heaven hope is slightly different than faith whereas faith is confident trust in god hope is the expectation that the thing the trustworthy god promised is going to come true and so like faith we wonder how this can endure past childhood And yet the Bible indicates that it will. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19, Paul says, if and only this life we hope in Christ. So presumably, in some sense, Paul fully expects that hope will continue on in the other world to come. See, I think hope is enduring in this sense. If faith is thankful trust in our Savior, hope then is anchoring our tomorrows to Christ and the tomorrows go on into infinity. When you and I are in heaven, we will be greeted with endless tomorrows. See, I think the Bible describes heaven as a real place. It's physical, it has sights and sounds and smells and real adventures. In heaven, we really won't know it all because only God is omniscient. We will be finite beings who live for eternity. Therefore, I fully expect to learn and grow and experience in heaven. I expect to reacquaint myself with family and friends in heaven. I expect to to get to know new people in heaven. I expect to live in relationship that grows and deepens. And as a Christian who believes in heaven, expect to experience the real passing of time in heaven, even as here. Expect that the passing of time is, is no threat, only a greater and greater adventure. And so, I fully expect to anchor my tomorrows to Christ. He will be my hope for all of eternity. I will always hope for an eternity of happy and meaningful and enriching and growing and deepening tomorrows. Truly, hope never ends. But then comes the last word, which, which Paul makes to be the greatest. The greatest of this triad is love, but, but why? I think I know the answer. First John 4, 16 says, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. See, the Bible never says that God is faith or that God is hope. God never exercises faith or hope. No, it is we that exercise them. We trust and hope in God. God trusts and hopes in no one. But God is love. Love is essential to his nature. The hymn writer wrote, the love of God is greater far than pen or tongue can ever tell. It it goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. For all eternity, we will marvel at this quality of God, his endless and enduring love. We will revel in it. We will tell each other stories about it. We will learn more and more of it until we think that we have learned so much. And then we will say that we've, we've only scratched the surface of his love this is the point. When we love, we abide in the love of God. Our love and God's love are intimately connected. We can only learn to love by imitating God. The more we strain forward to be like him, the more loving we become, for God is love. That's why love is the greatest, the only virtue that we hold above all of the others. We've said that faith is thankful trust in our savior. We've said that hope is anchoring our tomorrows to Christ. But now we say that love is imitating God. We'll observe his character for all eternity and be loving like he is. But let's get back to spiritual gifts. On this side of eternity, charismatics and non-charismatics have often divided over the gifts. We fought over the meaning of tongues and prophecy and, and gifts of healing. And perhaps as I've been teaching on spiritual gifts, you've said, well, Neufeld is wrong about all of that. But can you imagine the day when the imperfect becomes perfect? D.A. Carson put it this way. At that point, both of these groups of believers, he means charismatics and non-charismatics, will look back and thoughtfully contemplate the fact that what connects them with the world they have left behind is not the gift of tongues, nor animosity toward the gift of tongues but the love they sometimes manage to display towards each other, despite the gift of tongues. Indeed, on this side of eternity, it is important to continue to stress spiritual gifts, but we will remember that it is love that endures, it is love that never ends.
0: Thanks for your message today, John. Um, you know as we consider all these things with the gifts and you know the discontentment we have with each other sometimes and how we define them and what's important and and all those types of things that bring us to some discord you know maybe it's because in the end we're not prioritizing love yeah it's amazing how we talk about spiritual gifts and we know
1: that 1 Corinthians 13 is deliberately written right in the middle of this extended teaching on spiritual gifts I think Paul knew that the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, encouraged him to write this way because you know God knew that we'd be fighting this battle for so long, and so he keeps on putting the priority of love at the center. So you know, I, I'm not opposed to having you know conferences about gifts of the Spirit and even you know disagreeing with others, but I think whenever love is lost, we've lost the very center of the thing. The Holy Spirit showed us, you know, love fits at the center of this discussion.
0: Thanks, John, and join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. The Back to the Bible Canada Israel experience is a trip like none other, and I'm not the only one who thinks so. A supporter who attended our last trip said, now i can relate to the places of the bible visually because i've actually been there i'd love to go on another back to the bible canada trip in the future so make your plans to join an intimate group of spiritual pilgrims this coming april 24th to may 2nd 2022 for the israel experience hosted by back to the bible canada with on location teaching with bible teacher dr john neufeld Evenings of Entertainment with Laugh Phil Calloway and very special musical guests. More information and trip itinerary and registration forms are available now. So call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to learn more.